Good morning. My name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here. We're continuing to walk through the book of Philippians, still in chapter 1. A few more verses, 15 through the first part of 18. So you can go ahead and flip there. It'll be on page 570 in the Blue Bible, so you can follow along there. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take that. We want you to have a Bible that you can, uh, that you can read, that you have access to, and the text will also be on the screen if you want to follow there. So we, I make an assumption of the room, most of us, probably I would say all of us, do good things from time to time. You serve your neighbor, do the extra mile at, at work. Like we, we do good things, but I think if we were honest, that a lot of the times those good things are done for motives that aren't always pure. We just, I don't know, maybe y'all are better than me. I just, <laughs> see, I, I see within me, like there's just, there's a lot of selfish motives sometimes. I mean, we may do a good thing, but it may be for the sake of advancing your career. It might be to make us feel good, or maybe we just simply like praise. Like to do good things because we like the praise that comes with it. Now, we realize that that's socially unacceptable, right, for that to be seen. You know, we've got some teenagers in the room. About the teenage years is when you start to figure out that, like, I, I, it's not good for people to know that I just did a good thing just to be praised, right? Like you just, you start to realize that, I mean, into adulthood, like it just, that's not a, that's not a thing that works well. It's not going to help you in the workplace. Like my kids are not good at that. Little kids are terrible at that. They're not subtle. Uh, they're not slick. <laughs> they're not savvy. My youngest, what she'll do sometimes, she's, she's not four now, so she's grown a little bit out of this, but my youngest, she'll do like a good thing where she'll pick up her toys or whatever. And then she'll come to me and she'll go, And oh, this is what this is about. Like, you, you wanted praise. You, okay, good job. Now, at some point, she's going to grow out and realize that's not how you make friends and secure a job. Like, I'm just, I, I challenge you to do something good at work this week and go to your boss and go. It's not going it, to, it doesn't go well for you. Uh, and if you do, please record that. I want to see their face. It's just, we know that's not, it's not really acceptable. But if we're honest, there's a lot of that within us doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Last week, we went through verses 12 to 14 in chapter 1, and we got to see that Paul's imprisonment helped advance the gospel, but also helped embolden the believers on the ground to share the gospel as well. And what we're going to see this week is that there are Christians on the ground in Rome, or near where he's imprisoned, that are sharing the gospel. Some of them are doing it for the right reasons, but some of them are doing it for the wrong reasons. And we're going to take a look at that. And after acknowledging that reality, Paul's going to help us see He's going to reveal where we should place the most value and how that applies to our lives as Christians. So I want to read these verses and then we'll pray and we'll watch this together. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us be open to hear your word this morning. We, as Chet just prayed, are, are needy sinners in need of grace, in need of instruction. We need your guidance. 
uh, and, and passages like this certainly reveal what is within us. I pray that you would expose that and help us see the need for faith, see the need for repentance and running to you and seeing that you are better. And this would ultimately result in a life of worship that glorifies you above ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we kind of introduce the book of Philippians, this letter is different than the other letters that Paul wrote. So God has inspired this, is speaking through his servant Paul. He, there's, there's 13 letters that God used Paul to write to, to help us see his wonderful truth. This letter is very different than the other ones. Most of the time he's dealing with a problem in that church or, or, or speaking to a leader who's dealing with problems within their church and he's helping engage some of that. Philippians is just different. It's a joyful love, you know, uh, uh, based letter between a church that deeply loves Paul and a church that he loves. And he's just kind of telling them what's happening on the ground. And what's happening on the ground here is you've got some Christians who've been emboldened by Christ and out of good motives are declaring the mystery of Christ. See, he's imprisoned in Rome and he's connected to those Roman Christians. But there are other Roman Christians that he's connected to that are doing this for bad reasons. We picked that up in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and Rivalry. Now, there are people in the church at Rome that are preaching Christ from a place of envy and rivalry. Now, this passage has confused commentators, theologians who've been interacting with this text. Me. Like it just, it's, it's, it's some confusing stuff here because he uses language, envy and rivalry that typically, when he writes in his other letters, is attributed to those who don't know Christ, those who don't follow Christ. Like envy and rivalry, especially paired close together, that's applied to, if your life is marked by this, he says, you, you, you don't know Christ. He does this in multiple places. In Galatians chapter 5, we're familiar with many of us with, with the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Right before that is the works of the flesh. And in Galatians 5, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He is saying that if your life is marked by this, then you're, you probably aren't a Christian. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the language here stands out. Same word for strife in the Greek, which is the original way this is written. The same word for strife and rivalries is the same word. And that is paired right next to envy. So he's got these kind of close together and it helps see this is what marks Someone who doesn't believe and isn't living out the gospel. He does this again in Romans 1. It says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Again, envy paired close to the same Greek word for rivalry that is translated here, strife. This happens again. And not just describing those who don't believe the gospel, but also those who are teaching a false gospel, false teachers. In 1 Timothy 6, he says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with conceit, understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. Again, envy paired up with the same Greek word that's for rivalry that's translated here as dissension. So you see kind of how he uses these words close together throughout the letters that he's written, and then you get to Philippians 1, and it's just odd because he's applying it to people who preach Christ. And what he doesn't do, he does not destroy their credibility. He, he does that in other places for those that are false teachers. He doesn't do that here. Let's work through the rest of the passage. It says, Somebody preached Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. He said, there are some in the Roman church that are preaching the gospel for the right reasons, for a place of love. But then he shifts right back to, in verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So then we get a little bit of a clearer picture of what's going on. There are people in the Roman church that from a place of envy and rivalry, specifically with Paul, out of their own selfish ambition and their own self-interest, are preaching Christ in a way to hurt Paul, in a way to, to, to really, what it seems like, push his influence down in that church and lift up their own influence within this church. That's what's happening. And the confusing part is how he responds in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, that's false motives, or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. And when you read this against his other letters, it's like, wait, what? You take envy and rivalry very seriously. And yet all of a sudden, you're just, what then? These people have hurt you personally. They've afflicted you. And you're just like, what then? At least the gospel's being preached. At least Jesus is being proclaimed. And I want to be like, have you read your other letters? Man, this is, this is a big deal. I mean, the same person that told Timothy to keep a close life on your, keep, keep, keep a close watch on your life and your doctrine. Like you care about how the, those who proclaim the gospel live and you care about their message. Like what, what's happening here? Is Paul speaking out of both sides of his mouth? What is he getting at? That's the question that kind of lingers a little bit. And it's, the answer to that is it's, it's complicated. It's a complicated answer, but it's worth pressing into. So when Paul says, some indeed preach Christ, it is very clear that he's talking about the gospel. He is saying they're preaching the true gospel. They're not pe preaching a false gospel, which means they're not false teachers. And the reason you can say that very credibly is because Paul, in all the places he talks about false teachers, has zero patience for them. I mean, he absolutely extends zero kindness to wolves in sheep's clothing. I mean, he dismantles and destroys them over and over and over again. I'm not going to give you three quick examples. There are a lot more. In the book of Galatians, a church that a letter that was written to the church in Galatia, a region where he had planted churches, after he left... Some people called the Judaizers came in and tried to convert Christians back into following the Jewish law and saying, you need this to be saved. And he 
In chapter 1, out the gate in verse 6 says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to, the, to preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That phrase, let him be accursed, very literally means let him go to hell. So he just said, You're pre- if anyone is preaching a false gospel, let him go to hell. Let him be accursed. He picks up in, in, in 2 Timothy. He says, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Here, false teachers, he says, their teachings are like an infection that are rotting out the body and will kill the body. And he says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, which he just called them out by name. He doesn't play with false teaching and false teachers. And he says, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. And I'll give you one more. Again, there's more, but I'll just give you one. Titus 1 says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. These are the, these, trying to convert people back to the Jewish law to be saved. He says, They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. He says they must be silenced. Their talk spreads like gain green. They can go straight to hell. He has very, very strong language for false teachers. And he has no patience for false teaching at all. And then you get to Philippians and you read this passage and it's like, what? They're marked by envy and rivalry. What? what? This seems like a big shift. So nowadays, there's a lot of uh, 90s nostalgia, a lot of 90s nostalgia. I think that's good to some partial because that's where I grew up, but I think there's not enough focus on one of the best things that came out of the 90s, and that is 90s country music. (laughs) 90s country music was amazing. It was so good. I know some of y'all don't like country. It's fine. We can't all have good taste. But 90s country music was the jam. It was so good. Alan Jackson, Martina McBride, George Strait were just killing it. And then 2000s bro country came, and it was awful. They murdered country music. It's so, so, so bad. But it's making a comeback, you guys, because when Chris Stapleton took the stage at the CMAs a few years ago, I mean, just bringing it back. It makes me so happy. So many good artists. Zach Bryant, I can go on for days on that. But 90s country was just so good. And there was one who was at the top who was killing it more than anyone else in country music. Can I, can I get a guess? That's exactly right. Garth Brooks was killing it, y'all. No, only one other artist has sold more physical units of music than Garth Brooks. That's the Beatles. N- number two is Garth Brooks. That's wild. 
He was, I mean, he was killing that decade. And then in 1999, I walked into Walmart and I saw a display case. And this display case had just one artist, all the CDs. And I walked up to it and I saw a man who had an emo haircut before emo haircuts were even a thing yet. And a soul patch. And I saw eight of the saddest words I've ever read in the English language. Garth Brooks, in the life of Chris Gaines. And he just became a pop artist. And I, I got that. I got the CD and took it home. And it was trash. It was awful. It's like, dude, you were killing it in country. And then you became this, this really, really bad pop artist. It didn't work out for him. It worked out well for Taylor Swift, but not for him. It was a big shift. And it was like, what are you doing? It's so uncharacteristic of everything that you've put out. And that's what I feel like when I read Paul in this passage. I'm like, you, are, are you Chris Gainsing us? Are you just like, what, have you lost the thread on everything that matters that you're about? But when you press into this, you see that's not it at all. Because one thing is abundantly clear that has not changed at all. And that is that Paul deeply, deeply loves the gospel. He deeply, deeply values the message of the gospel. You can't mess with the message of the gospel. That's his anthem. You cannot touch that. He still believes in the message of the gospel. He still believes and preaches and cares about those who preach that Christ, who looked upon us in our sinful, hopeless state, who came and left heaven for us, who lived a perfect life for us, obeying the Old Testament law. Paul still cares about the fact that Christ went to the cross because he loves us, because of his great love for us, and that his blood was poured out for us, for our offenses, and for our sins, and for our struggles, so that we might stand justified through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross that when God the Father looks upon those of us that have placed our hope in Jesus and not our own good works but put all of our hope in Christ that he would see the perfect spotless righteousness of Christ and not our own sins and that in that faith we are reborn to a living hope that we cling to until Jesus takes us home. He still cares deeply about the message of the gospel. He loves it. And he has no patience for a false teaching that corrupts that at all because he understands that a false gospel leads to a false belief which ultimately leads to an eternity in hell. And he takes that very seriously. Which for the record, we should care about that. We should absolutely not tolerate a false gospel at all. We should not tolerate wolves in sheep's clothing at all. I mean, in Paul's time, it was... It was people that were saying the resurrection already come. It was people that were saying that you had to do good works and obey the Old Testament law to be justified. In our time, it's different. The, the main false gospel that's rampant throughout the American church is the prosperity gospel. And it's, it's just everywhere. And we should absolutely take that seriously. We should take seriously the false prophets and false gospel that's preached from people like Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer and T.D. Jakes and Creflo Dollar, each of them preaching false gospel leads to a false belief, leads to an eternity in hell. We should take that seriously. And you might think that's a little judgy. You call them individuals out. And I'd say, yeah, it is. Paul called out uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And Paul makes it very clear in, in, in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, are you not called to judge those inside the church? It's a direct quote. 
Are you not called to judge those inside the church? He's saying, hold those accountable inside the church. Those outside the church, you have no business making any bit of accountability. You have no business in making any judgment call on, on if anyone outside the church. No, inside the church, if they claim to follow Christ, absolutely you hold accountable to what they say and how they live because the message of the gospel is of utmost importance. And we catch a glimpse of God's heart through his servant Paul to help us see that false teaching is seriously, and we should take that very seriously. And I think the problem for us is that we, we don't. There's so much of it. It's like we, we don't. I think we get more upset when someone has a different, if you have a family member or a you know, husband, wife, brother, sister, best friend, I think we get more upset if they pick up Art of the Deal by Donald Trump or Obama's memoir than we would if they took Joel Osteen's Life, Your Best Life Now book. I think we'd be more upset about the, the political difference there. I think we'd be more upset if our family or friends were watching Fox News or watching MSNBC than we would if they were actually watching TBN, which is a horrible channel. I mean, they, they put some good stuff on there like Billy Graham, sandwiched between Crawford Dollar and T.D. Jakes and Joyce Meyer and all, and it's just like, it's awful. Which the irony of that channel, I think it's called Trinity Broadcast Network. And some of those cats don't even believe in the Trinity. It's just, it, we should take this seriously, which means that if we have family or friends that are being immersed in this type of, we, we, we should lovingly and winsomely compel them to turn away from that. Because this is a destructive force. It has ruined churches in America. It has ruined churches in Africa and South America, taking a, a, a false gospel to people who barely have anything and telling them to give their money so that they can be, it's, we should take it seriously. As serious as Paul takes in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he says, For the time is coming when people who will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to truth and wander into myths. Because we live in a time where everyone wants to hear what makes them feel good, wants to hear what their ears are itching for, and it will suit their own passions, and it's going to lead to destruction. So, when he's talking about these Roman Christians, they're preaching Christ. They're not preaching a false gospel here. And when you understand this and what he's doing, I think there are three questions we can ask of Paul and ourselves that will help us understand and apply this better. I have three questions. The first, do we love the message like Paul? Do we love the message like Paul? So when he says in 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, and it goes on to say the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. I mean, just understand, like Paul, Paul was being hurt by this. Like, I mean, if you've ever had anyone, I remember the first time that I was in, when I was in high school, and, a, and I found out that a friend of mine was talking smack about me behind my back. And I was like, I thought we were friends. That hurts. That had to have hurt him. They are afflicting him. I mean, the, the, the most comparative thing I could say, what's happening with him and Roman maybe here, is if we sent Chet to like the Middle East to do mission work, and then he gets arrested, and he's imprisoned. And then I just was like, all right, now's the time. I don't just preach half the time. I preach all the time. I make the rules here now. I'm taking over community groups. And I'll scrub his ugly face out of the website. It's just out. This is my house. And I just said, I'm doing it. This is me. 
And y'all be like, well, is he doing okay? It doesn't matter how he's doing. We're moving on. It's wicked. It's corrupt. That's what's happening. He's being afflicted by people who are preaching because they, they envy his influence. They're out of their own selfish ambition. So it had to have hurt him, certainly. But Paul has an eternal view in mind. He says, but at least they're preaching Christ. At least they're preaching the true gospel. At least they're preaching a gospel that saves and not a false gospel that damns. So at least they're preaching Christ because he cares more about advancing the gospel than being personally maligned. That's clear from his writings that he doesn't like those motives. He doesn't like envy and rivalry. Probably was praying for the repentance, but he rejoiced that they were preaching a true gospel and that sinners were being saved. So, is what those rivals and what they were doing in that church, was it wicked? Yes. Are these rivals operating out of, as they're operating out of selfish ambition, are they in danger if they keep following that track? If it's all about themselves and all about themselves and it's all about themselves, are they in danger of becoming like Hymenaeus and Philetus and becoming false teachers? That's certainly possible. But is it, is, it's clear from these writings here, it's clear from what's happening here that their motivations, though flawed, their, their motivations, though sinful, are not the same as someone who would preach that Jesus isn't really God, which started in the first century, but also continues in the veins of Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism now. And it's certainly not the same as someone who would preach a prosperity gospel saying that you come, come down here and we'll pray over you. Give some money and we'll pray over you. Plant the seed of faith and we'll pray over you. Those aren't even in the same ballpark. So yeah, they're flawed, but they're not preaching a false gospel. And there's a lot of nuance here that separates that out. I think there are some misguided leaders that are hurting Paul and they've lost sight of what this is all about. And I think it is possible that, that we don't get to see how this ends, that some of those, those teachers ended up straying away from the faith, but they're not there yet. And therefore, Paul is still going to celebrate that they are preaching Christ and he's not going to treat them like a wolf. I love what John Piper says about this. He says, Paul is more agitated when the gospel itself is defective than he is when the people who preach the true gospel are defective. And I think that's a very good sum summarization of what this is. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't care about leaders. It doesn't mean we shouldn't care about character. We announced a few weeks ago that Isaac, who's been in the elder and training process here for four years, that we're going to install him as an elder after four years, there's a reason why we took that long. We were evaluating his character. We still should, First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, care about the character of those who proclaim the gospel. We should care about that. Like if any of you move to another city and you try to find a church, I've helped different people who've left here and gone to different places. I usually get on Nine Marks Church Finder or Gospel Coalition uh, Church Finder and I help them find a few churches. But I tell them, like, you should care about their teaching. So get on there, read their doctrinal statements, listen to a few sermons, hear what they are teaching, because that matters. But if they show up and all of a sudden, like the pastor is really into himself, and like he's wearing $500 sneakers, and it's just like, you can tell, like he's just trying to build his brand, and, it's, and you get on social media, and like it's just a lot of cringe posts about, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's just like, <laughs> if, if you see that, it's like, okay, you should care about that. You should care if there's just blatant self-interest in how they do their ministry. 
But you also should pray for pastors like that when you encounter them. You should. And you should be thankful at least they're preaching a true gospel. There's a quote that's attributed to Martin Luther that's uh, God uses crooked sticks to make straight lines. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, there's some crooked sticks, including myself, that God uses to preach Christ. And we should celebrate that. So when you encounter churches and pastors and authors and ministry leaders that seem to be so self-interested, you should pray for them. And pray for their repentance because that's a miserable existence. Making an idol out of yourself and your ministry is tiring and exhausting. There's a quote from a, a Moravian bishop, Zenzendorf. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And it's like, yeah, that's it. That's it. Preach the gospel, die, two generations, you'll, everyone will forget you. Praise God, because the message outlasts the messenger, even a broken one. We should love the message of the gospel. We should love the message of Christ. Second question, do we love the message more than ourselves? Do we love the message of the gospel more than our own selves? Or to put it a different way, what about our own selfish ambition what about our own envy? What about our own rivalry? Because what happens is that we're really quick to identify. It's easy to see, you know, a slick preacher with $500 sneakers on Instagram doing all kinds of things and be like, oh, yeah, that dude's about himself. But we've skipped a step. Because what Jesus teaches in Matthew 7 is take the plank out of your own eye so that you can see the speck in your brother's eye. And we just skip that step. And that passage gets misunderstood for lots of reasons. On one side, it's like, oh, God says you should never judge anyone. And Tupac, like, just made that a big anthem. Only God can judge me. And it's like, no, that's not what Jesus is teaching at all there. He's saying, take the plank out first so you can see the speck. There's accountability built into that passage. But the other side of it is, is that we just don't like to do that. We don't like to take the plank out. That's hard work. Inspecting and suspecting your own sin first is difficult work. It's a whole lot easier just to look at everyone else. So, do we love the message more than ourselves? Are we willing to do the tough work of saying, first, okay, where are my selfish ambitions? Where am I envious? Where, where am I uh, creating rivalries with others? And where do I need to repent of that in my own life first so I can clearly love the message over my own self? So we should do that. That's something I have to die to myself regularly because I, I just, my flesh, I, I want admiration and glory. I want that. And I, I regularly pray before I preach. I say, God, not for my glory, but for your own. Because I know deep down within me, I want that glory. But we got to do that soul work of looking within and seeing what's happening within us so that we can actually repent. So what planks do we need to pull out in order to practice this well? Do you celebrate with others when they do well? Or are you quietly jealous of how, they're, how it's going for them? Can you really celebrate with those you should be joyful about? Are you just secretly so jealous that you're not getting what they've got? How about this on the community group level? When other community groups are just crushing it, 
seemingly, from our perspective. Another community group, it's just, it seems like it's just going so well. Are you happy for them? Are we inwardly envious of what's happening there? Which group leaders, like that's a real thing, right? Actually, let me put group leaders to the side for a moment. Let me talk to group members, okay? And I can say this because I'm a group member now. My wife and I, we led groups for 10 years. And now we're just, we're group members. Leading a group is hard. Leading a community group is hard. <laughs> it is. You can talk to them. You ask them, hey, is it hard? And they'll say, yes, it is. It's made harder when we're not being good group members. When we show up once a month, when the list goes out for meals, and it's like, I'll bring cups. It's like, you want to try a salad? They make those in kits now. You just open it up. You tip the bowl. You just, that's it. Like, it's, it's real easy. It, it's made more difficult when we stir up drama. It's made more difficult when we're complaining. It's made more difficult when we say, I want this to change and this change to serve my needs. It's made more difficult when it's like, I, you got to revolve around my schedule. It's made more difficult when we're not good group members. So let's change. Let's love our group leaders. Y'all should bless them, take them out to eat, ask them how you can be a better group member. All right, group leaders. <laughs> If you get into a comparison game where you're just envious of other, other situations, that's a terrible drug. And it just it has no bottom because you'll just grow bitter and then you'll just hate groups <laughs> all together. You know, not that I've ever experienced that ever in 10 years leading groups. <laughs> Do you have a created rivalry in your head with another person? Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's someone in our own church. Another person and your family, another person in your friend group. Do you have a rivalry that's like, it's just in your head? Or maybe it's not even in your head. Maybe it's just like understood. It's like Taylor and Kim Kardashian. Like they just, you just know. It's just, I think that was them, right? Right? Front row? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's just understood. There's a rivalry between you and this other person. A sin. A sin. And it should be repented of, and reconciliation should happen. Is your work, your ministry, your life, is it all about self and your selfish ambitions? Are you making much of yourself? Or are we seeking to make much of Christ to his glory and not our own? We must love the gospel and the message of the gospel more than our own selves. And when we do that, we make the proclamation of Christ and him crucified the most central aim of our lives. But in order to stay on track with that aim, there are things, there are planks that must be removed. There's sin that must be repented of to make the gospel primary. Third question, do you rejoice in the message going forward? Do you rejoice in the message of Christ and him crucified going forward. Do we so deeply love this message like Paul? Do we so deeply love it that we would care about that gospel going forward and we just celebrate when it's preached? There's a few different ways where we just that, where we fall short in this area. 
I'm going to talk to a super niche group of people in our church. I'm talking like probably less than five. So I'm going to give this space like for a minute. But if you're the kind of person that loves theology and you also love being on YouTube and you love what's called discernment ministries on YouTube, be careful. There are whole YouTube channels devoted to helping you discern and heresy hunt and figure out who's the bad ones. And some of those cats, they, spend, they get a little too gleeful about taking shots at others. And I just, I, I didn't throw out those names earlier. I didn't throw out T.D. Jakes and Creflo Dollar and Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer flippantly. I followed the ministry for years. I had to reorient myself again this week with some of the really terrible things they say. I, but you better be real careful when you start throwing out names and lobbing bombs at people that actually might be brothers. They might be sisters in Christ. Because you're maligning a, a believer, which First John has some pretty sharp words for you on. So just caution. They may, listen, they, they may, you, you would never go to their church and you would never quote them. And they're just, they make you cringe. And like, I'm tell, there's a lot of goofy American Christian pastors out there. A lot of great ones too. A lot of great ones. But a lot of goofy ones that you would never get behind. But are they preaching Christ? Are they still preaching the gospel? Then you should celebrate that. We should celebrate the proclamation of Christ. We should rejoice regardless of maybe our differences in opinions or even, even differences in a little bit in character, theological differences, I, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And that we should rejoice. I don't care if you're Anglican or if you're Baptist, if you're egalitarian or you're complementarian or you even know what those words are and care. I don't, like, I just, I don't, I don't. In the grand scheme of things, I, mean, I do care, like low-key level care, but like I, grand scheme of things, I don't care if you're preaching Christ, then go for it. Just keep doing it. Don't let up. I want to celebrate you preaching Christ and not be so just judgy on the smallest of things. Like I even got to the point where like years ago, I, I would see street, street preachers. And I even confronted street preachers back in the day. So, but how dare you? Do you not know how many people you're dissuading of following Christ? And listen, there are some bad street preachers out there. Also, some crazy street preachers out there who are wacko. But there are some street preachers that, listen, that's not my style. I, I'm, not, I'm not going on the streets to the soapbox. It's not my game. But some of them are genuine brothers and sisters in Christ who are just proclaiming the gospel. And sure, we don't have a street preaching ministry. But I've gotten to the point where I'm like, you know what? Look in the mirror, bro. They've shared the gospel with more people in the last five minutes than you have in the last five months. So, like, just calm down. And if they're, they're preaching Christ, then, like, it's not my style, but, like, I'm gonna pray. I want to pray for that, dude. I want to pray for them. The gospel would actually sink into the hearts of those who don't believe. We should rejoice with people who are proclaiming the gospel. We should check our own selves to see if we're actually sharing the gospel or if we just think we can friend people into the kingdom and never use words, which doesn't work. Totally fine with friending people, but you got to share words at some point. And I feel that within my own self. We should rejoice when those who proclaim the gospel. And that means that we should be willing to acknowledge in the times where we're not doing that. We need to. If we're, listen, if we're not willing to get in the fight and share the gospel with a friend, with a neighbor, with a coworker, it's either because we don't love this gospel nearly enough or we love ourselves and our comfort way too much. 
We should rejoice when the gospel is preached. And we should embody the part of the Roman church that made Paul just joyful. And he said, out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. That should be us. That, that, the latter do I love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. May we be a people that embody that. But out of love for the message in Christ, and a love for those who do not have ears to hear, and a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ who will be emboldened to share the gospel if we do it, we should, out of love, preach Christ. And then rejoice when those and rejoice in those who do. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us love your message so deeply that we would repent of the own sin in our lives that keeps us from being messengers and heralds that bring you glory. I pray that you would use us in spite of our sin, in spite of my own follies. God, I pray that you would help us celebrate at the proclamation of your wonderful gospel and the eternal change that can happen because of it. I pray for brothers and sisters that that may proclaim Christ for selfish motives, that you would lead them and, and me into regular repentance, upholding you as more glorious than ourselves, so that out of love, we would stand on the gospel and proclaim it regularly to your glory and not our own. In Jesus' name, amen. band's going to come up, and we're just going to close out and worship and singing. Take a couple minutes to reflect. We don't just like to hear the word, but we like to be doers of the word. But in doing the word and practicing this, we must stare within and see the sin that's within us must be repented of but that's not even possible if we don't actually believe the gospel in the first place so first you gotta love Christ and you gotta love the good news of the gospel you gotta admit your own need for a savior and see that God loves us so much that he did come to rescue us and to put all of our chips on that and to make all of our hope on that. And from that belief, we get to look at the sin within us, repent of it, and then be those who proclaim the gospel and rejoice in those who do.